You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bayshore. If you're new here, I'm Pastor Danny, and we're just so glad that you're with us today. Great group today. I enjoyed the uh, worship today, all the, the guys up here. That was great. And uh, if you're new here to Bayshore, thank you again for being here. Let's give our guests a big hand. Thank you for being here today. And if you're a regular person, we're glad you're here, too, for sure. And I uh, want to say hello to our Femme College campus and uh, Pastor Chase and uh, Callie, everybody there. Thank you so much for being with us right now. We're all together at this moment. And we're in a series where we are looking at the book of 1 Peter. And the, this uh, is called Hope for Strugglers. And Peter gave uh, this letter, 1 Peter, to kind of help people that are like in a sector environment and nobody around them believes what they believe, and they're trying to figure out how to live for Christ when everybody else is not going that way. And I think some of us feel that way. And so 1 Peter's very applicable to our situation in uh, 2023. And so it's a great, great book. And today we're going to be looking at uh, marriage. And uh, we started on this text last time I spoke, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And so uh, one of the questions is, you know, what do you do if you're like married and secular world, everybody's got different views about marriage and how does that work? And how, how does a Christian marriage differ from uh, maybe a secular marriage? What is the definitive difference there? So we're going to be looking at that a little bit. And so let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, wives in the same way submit yourselves to your husband, own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing may hinder your prayers. So in this... Uh, text, the big idea, there's a couple of things going on here. The big idea is, what if you are married to someone that is not a Christian? You're a Christian, but they are not a Christian. And that's the, the big issue. And, and Peter gives some real practical advice here. He said, listen, you, when you have a, a very uh, quiet and meek and not a combative, angry spirit, that produces beauty in you. You become a beautiful person and attractive. And he said, your beauty should not come from elaborate hairstyles and fine jewelry and, uh, and fine clothes. Now, he's not saying you shouldn't have your hair done, should have your hair done. That's a good thing. I ran into a lady the other day from our church, Karen and I were out to eat, and she just had her hair done and looked really good. Didn't say you shouldn't buy jewelry. So if it's saying, you know, not hair, uh, get your hair done or getting jewelry, then it would mean you wouldn't wear any clothes either. So it can't mean that because it's you're not with fine clothes. But 
you should adorn yourself with a wonderful attitude. And, uh, and, and your attitude is so Christ-like that it draws your husband to the Lord. Um, the great uh, person in history was St. Augustine, uh, who wrote a lot of great stuff in the 5th century. St. Augustine's mo mother, Monica, prayed for him to get saved. Augustine was wild, promiscuous, uh, sexual pervert. He had all kinds of problems, and she prayed for him to come to the Lord, and he did come to the Lord. But her husband, Monica's husband, also was not a Christian, and Monica lived this godly life before him. And uh, at the end of her life, when she was dying, uh, Augustine wrote a note about her. She said that his mother, Monica, gained her husband for eternity at the end of her life. So her, how she lived was, was a big thing. So anyhow, this text is about that. What do you do if you are married to somebody that's not a Christian? So uh, first thing comes up, you know, the early church didn't know what to do. If you uh, were married and you became a Christian and your spouse wasn't a Christian, Paul had to deal with this as well because there was a little bit of confusion about, you know, if you, get, if you, if you find the Lord and your spouse doesn't know the Lord, they asked Paul in the church of Corinth, are we supposed to stay with our spouse? And Paul said, absolutely. God honors that covenant of marriage. It's honorable before God. And you are, as long as your unbelieving spouse wants to live with you, you live with them and you are, you, in fact, you sanctify them by your presence. What does that mean? You provide divine influence into their life because of your godly life. So that's the question he's trying to deal with here in this text, and that's the big thing. And it's in a series of submission things. The word submission is in here, and the word submission, you know, is sort of a red flag uh, word. And, but, but when he says, in the same way, submit to your own husbands, and one of the things we want to clarify real quickly from this text, it never says women are to be submitted to men. It's not like women submit to men. What the text teaches, women... Submit to your own husband. You have this unique relationship to a man that you're in covenant with. So there's nowhere in the Bible, Ephesians 5 as well. Ephesians 5 says, you know, uh, you know be submitted to your husbands and husbands love your wives. But when it says in Ephesians 5, uh, wives submit to your own husband, it always qualifies it with own husband. It's not like men and women, women submit to men. Absolutely not in the Bible. That's a fallacy completely. So the, qu the question is, you know, that they had was, what do you do if you have a spouse that doesn't know the Lord? And Paul said, stay right with them. Peter said, you know, live a godly life and all that. So the question, you know, we have to, first of all, how did they end up with a spouse that didn't know the Lord? How did that happen? Well, probably they were, you know, they were both pagans, didn't know the Lord. They heard the gospel. The wife receives the gospel and the husband doesn't. So now you have this sort of unequal relationship in terms of spirituality is concerned. So uh, the, the, the advice is to hang right in there. Thing we need to think about a little bit, you know, maybe there's some single people here today. Here's what we need to remember is that God has ordained marriage to happen between two people that love Jesus. Now, if you end up, you didn't start that way, and one of them becomes a Christ follower and the other one doesn't, you're a whole different deal. But if you're starting your marriage, you want to start it as two people who love Jesus. The number one qualification you need to have for picking a spouse if you're single is does this person love Jesus and are they going to help me get closer to Jesus in my relationship with him? 
That's the question. This person I'm marrying, are they going to accelerate my spiritual growth? Or are they going to hinder my spiritual growth? Now, I don't mean marry somebody that's a Christian in name, doesn't really read the Bible, doesn't go to church, you know, uh, just doesn't have anything to do with God, but says they're a Christian. I've done a, I've seen a whole bunch of those weddings, you know, where they say they're a Christian, but not really a Christian. You want to marry somebody that really, really knows Jesus. And that's very, very important. So, uh, and so there's some scriptures for that. Let me read a few scriptures if I can find them here. A few scriptures about making sure that you marry somebody that knows Jesus. Uh, that's an important thing. Um, here's what it says here. Uh, this is a good one. First Corinthians seven thirty nine. Uh, Paul's talking about in first Corinthians seven, what happens if your husband dies or your wife dies, it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. You can pick anybody out, tall, short, you know, Protestant, Catholic, whatever. Pick out anybody you want, but he must belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. You want to make sure he has a job. He's not living in his mother's basement. You don't want that kind of guy. But he must belong to the Lord. Now, notice the language there. He must belong to the Lord. Why, if you're a Christian, why would you marry some guy that doesn't love Jesus? Why would you marry, if you're, a, uh, if you're a, a husband or a guy, you're a man, why would you marry a woman who doesn't love Jesus? Because she's fine looking. You want to find a fine looking woman who loves Jesus. And you've got to make sure that you think about that. The, the thing about it is marriage is supposed to be this, the ideal marriage is the marriage where you've got a man who loves Jesus and made Jesus Lord of his life. You've got a wife who's made Jesus Lord of her life. And, and you have this growing relationship spiritually. Karen and I, you know, Karen comes and she'll share a word with me. She's reading the Bible, reading scripture. I don't know how many times a month that she'll walk in my office after she's had her devotions. And she says, you know, Danny, I was reading this. And I was just thinking about this. And I feel like this is for you. And she'll share a word with me. And I'll share a word with her. And we'll pray together. And we'll have this, this relationship that's built around Christ. And uh, can you imagine, you know, the worst thing to have in marriage is to have a relationship where you can't share with the other person the most important thing in your life. And the most important thing is Jesus, Jesus being the most important thing in your life. It's like the guy that, you know, the pastor that wanted to go golfing and he, you know, didn't want to do church on Sunday. So he called in sick, kind of told the deacons he was sick. He wasn't sick. So he went golfing and he got up to address the ball on the first tee and the angels and God are looking over heaven and they see this pastor who lied to the deacon board about being sick and he's out on the golf course and he hits this drive down the fairway 350 yards it rolls up on the green and it goes right in the in the cup one a hole in one and the angels look at God and say God why in the world did you do that you should punish him he is not doing right he lied to the deacon board and God winked and said to the angels who can he tell who can he tell <laughs> it's torment not to be able to tell that. But in marriage, you got this experience with Jesus, and you can't tell and share that with another person. 
So marriage is supposed to be completely, uh, as you go into it, two believers coming in it together. Uh, you can marry anybody you want to, Paul says, but he must belong to the Lord. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can righteousness and wickedness have in common? And what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does uh, a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So that is important. That's a very important thing. So in this story, however, we have in 1 Peter, we have this situation where we have these uh, people that are married, and probably they were married, and then one of them became a Christian, and the wife became a Christian, and the husband's not a Christian. So what do you do with that? So Peter's advice is, is don't be an angry, fussy, hard-to-get-along-with complaining wife. Be a, be a loving, kind, godly wife. And he says that produces beauty. That produces beauty. And then he uses the, the hot-button word submission. He says, you know, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, and, uh, and that's the important thing. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. And that is a really, uh, that's a tough one, uh, that when we talk about submission. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And uh, the idea here is, is not, I don't think we quite get this and understand it. Uh, the problem is, we, when you look at it in context, uh, Peter has been talking about different areas need to submit. He said, in chapter 2, he said, uh, submit to those in authority in government, support, uh, support uh, submit to the emperor. Then if you are in slavery, you submit to your master. And slavery in those days was not based on, you know, race or anything like that. It was like there was no, uh, there was no bankruptcy. If you got in debt, you ended up in a slave situation. And he said, have a good attitude toward the master that you're, that you're under. And then he comes to the wife situation. Now, here's the thing we need to know about submission. Uh, submission is always looking beyond the person that you're submitting to, but you're submitting to the Lord behind the person. We have a tendency to like, oh man, we got to submit to somebody. We look at the person and we have, there's something in all of us that is rebellious and we don't want to submit to another individual. But Peter talks about in the chapter two about submitting to authority as to the Lord. So you're submitting to somebody that is beyond the person and you're submitting to the Lord. So if you, if you kind of bristle against the idea of submission, the big idea is that behind that is the Lord. We're submitting to the Lord. Now, here's something that's important to remember. Submission never has to do with inequality. Submission never has to do with inequality. It's not like you have a, a superior to an inferior. It's not like you've got an important person and a less important person. Submission never has to do with inferiority, with superiority over an inferior. And so it's not about inequality. You say, well, Pastor Danny, how do you know that? Well, I know that because Jesus 
submitted to his parents. Let me uh, tell you the story. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52, it says that now Jesus went down to the festival with his, uh, with his parents, and then he was 12 years old, and they were going to the Passover, and Jesus stayed behind. They usually traveled in a caravan or whatever, and uh, they thought Jesus was with another group of, the, group of families, and they, Mary and Joseph basically lost Jesus, which is really, really a problem if you're called to raise the Messiah. You know, Jesus is... Jesus' face on a, on a milk cart. I mean, that's just not good, you know? But Jesus, they find Jesus, you know, talking in the temple with the, uh, the officials of the word and all that. And then they say to him in verse 49, why were you, Jesus says to them, why were you searching for me? He asked him, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and statue and favor with God and man. So when you think about Jesus submitting, this is the, this is the eternal son of God who has taken on flesh and he is living on this planet and he is the Lord of all. And in the, the, the system of family, Jesus submits to his parents. And it says he grew in wisdom. When we submit to people that God has called us to submit to, there's a prosperity and a blessing that comes our way. And it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, stature with favor with God and man. So when we talk about submission, submission has nothing to do with this, has nothing to do with inequality. It is sort of an order of how God has designed things to work. And that's what the scripture teaches, teaches it in Ephesians 5, teaches it in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and that's an important thing. Now, when I think about the American family, I think about everybody loves Raymond. Now, how many know that show? How many have watched, ever watched Everybody Loves Raymond? Now, I love the show. It's on Paramount Plus, so Karen and I watch it every night before we go to bed. Uh, we, we've been, we watch Seinfeld like nine times in a row every season, so we're on to Raymond now. We watch Raymond before we go to bed. And I love the show. I love the humor. I love Ray Romano. I love uh, Patricia Heaton, who, is, by the way, is a follower of Jesus. She's a Christian, lives in Los Angeles, goes to Matt Barnett's church. She loves the Lord. Great, great Christian lady. But I just have to ask the question... We laugh at that show, but I wonder if we laugh at that show because we identify with that show. And is that really how a family is supposed to operate? You know, Ray, as funny as he is, Ray does not protect Patricia or protect, uh, uh, his wife from anything. I mean, when mom comes over, he cowers down and he lets, you know, his wife just get it from the mother-in-law. Ray, all he cares about is golfing. All he cares about is doing his own thing. All he cares about is his life. And I don't think that Ray Romano in this, the Barone family, I don't think they represent how a family should live. But yet we think, well, you know, hey, everybody has that experience, you know. And, and Ray is out to lunch. He doesn't take any responsibility. He's not leading. He's no, he never does anything right. And there is somebody in charge in that family, and it's not Ray. 
And it's just interesting. And I have to say, here's the thing about when you talk about submission and leadership and the family and all that, how does that work? Somebody is always making the final decisions. Somebody is. And the Bible says that God puts the onus on the man to say, hey, the big issues of life, are you hearing God? Are you giving direction to your family? Are you like Ray Romano, just kind of sneaking out, trying to play golf and try to avoid responsibility and not be an advocate for your wife? And I think it's, a, it's an interesting model that we see there, and I don't think that that's the model that we're supposed to look at. And here's what I think about how this works in real life, how Karen and I operate in, in our marriage and all that. Um, I, I just think when you read Proverbs 31, you look at Proverbs 31, you see uh, a very, uh, if you're familiar with Proverbs 31, you, you find a very articulate, a very smart woman, a woman that's buying fields and woman that's operating in her business savvy. She's smart. She's wise. Her husband is sitting in the gates with the elders, a leader in the city. And she's making great decisions. So when you talk about submission uh, in the family dynamic, you're not talking about uh, Papa signing off on requisition forms for everything the wife wants to do. That's not what this is about. Karen came in to me the other day. She said, hey, listen, I've already I found the, the lawn care people for this year that we're going to use. She called a couple people, uh, and, and we know who's going to take care of our lawn this year and all that. And um, I didn't say, I didn't decree that. I'm a pretty smart guy. I would never say that. <laughs> I said, oh, that's great. She said, boy. You know, Karen is, she, she's a very good administrator. She you know, oversees our money and all of that. But when there comes these big mega decisions in our life, we walk, we talk about it, pray about it, work on it. But there's a responsibility on my shoulders to say, listen, I feel like this is what we're supposed to do. And where is that in the Ray Romano story? It's not there. That is not a good model. That is a secular model of marriage. And I want to know today when we look at the scriptures, how many of us that are uh, the husbands in the dynamic of the marriage relationship are more like Ray Romano and not like what Peter is addressing here, where Peter says uh, a, a husband should give direction and guidance to his family for protection. Here's the thing, another thing about the submission story. Never has to do with ego. Never has to do with hubby wants a boat and he's going to get a boat and he says he's going to get a boat and because he's in charge, he's getting a boat. Doesn't mean you can't get a boat, but you got to work that out. You know what I mean? Amen. It's not about that. It's about him having responsibility to help his family prosper, and the decisions he's making is bringing prosperity and blessing to his family because he's listening and leading as God gives him direction in collaboration and consensus with his wife. But he's leading, he's taking responsibility. How many times does the man wash his hands? Whatever you want, honey. Whatever you want, honey. Whatever you want, honey. That's the Ray Romano model of marriage. The biblical model of marriage is, hey, what is best for our family? What does the Lord want us to do? 
and you pray about it, you get guidance, you get direction, and you let the Lord give you some direction, and you say, honey, this is what I think we need to do. And every submission and leadership in the home is based on the husband feeling the ultimate responsibility to protect his family so that they can be blessed and prospered. I was riding down the road the other day, and uh, I was coming, I think it was on 24, and they've just added another stoplight on 24. I'm just confessing my frustration to you there. But anyhow, they've got, uh, I was going down 24, and I saw a school bus coming, and the school bus stopped and had blinking lights, and obviously I stopped. Because that school bus had authority, and the authority, the reason for the authority was to protect the students that were on the bus. Authority is given to the husband in the, in the family dynamic to protect his family so his family prospers and is blessed. You say, Pastor Danny, is there any model in Scripture, is there anything that looks different than the Ray Romano, Everybody Loves Raymond story? Well, I'm so glad you asked because there is one. And it's Joseph and Mary. You find Joseph, he doesn't know about the whole thing with Mary becoming, uh, you know, overshadowed by the, the Holy Spirit and be, uh, carrying Christ. He doesn't know about that. He's, he's, he's going to divorce his wife quietly. He's a sensitive man. He's, a, he, and he's just a very graceful man, but he's going to divorce her quietly. And the Lord speaks to him in a dream and says, hey, you got this all wrong. She is chosen by God to carry the Messiah. And so remember, Mary's had this wonderful experience with the angel Gabriel. The Lord spoke to, 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 to Mary, and she had the Magnificent, where she quotes all these Old Testament scriptures. She's very articulate. Joseph never says anything in scripture. But after Joseph is revealed, after the Lord speaks to Joseph about Mary's pregnancy being of the Holy Spirit, God never speaks to Mary again. He always speaks to Joseph. And he says, Joseph had a dream and said, you, the Magi just came, and you better leave Bethlehem because Herod's going to send. And Joseph hears the Lord, and he leaves his family to safety to protect them. He's leading. Then he's down in Egypt for I don't know how many years, and the Lord speaks to Joseph again. Now you can go back to the land of Israel. And when he comes toward Bethlehem, Archelaus, the son of Herod, is in charge, and the angel speaks to Joseph again and says, Go to Nazareth, don't settle in Judea. God always spoke to Joseph on these mega decisions in their family's life so that he could guide his family and protect them and prosper them. Now, listen, it does not mean that God doesn't speak to our wives and God doesn't speak to, speak to women. How many know that God speaks to men and women? Can you say a big amen? And the women say a big amen. Amen? But there's a principle here. The principle is there's moments that that husband is supposed to hear the Lord and lead his wife and his family to safety and protect them so that they'll be prospered. That is a biblical view of marriage. And it's not like, you know, it's not the Ray Romano thing. 
where men are afraid to speak up, where men are afraid to hear the Lord, and women need to empower their husbands who love Jesus to hear the Lord. Honey, pray about it. Let's talk about it. Let's collaborate. Let's process this. But I need you to put your belt on and take some leadership in this family. There's a place for that. Karen and I, when we were newly married, we were, you know, poor and stupid and young, and I was not a good husband. I, had, I was learning stuff, learning how to do basic things like take the garbage out, you know? <laughs> how many remember when you were a young idiot husband? How many remember those? Remember those? And we're like, I'm trying to grow. And the Lord spoke to, to me about going to Bible college and about going to Florida. And, and I talked to Karen about it. We talked about it for months and talked about it for months. And, and the point came where we just had to make a decision. And we took two cars. I drove a 1971 Thunderbird. She had her little 1977 uh, uh, Vega, Chevrolet Vega. We drove down to Pensacola, Florida. We went to school, and it was based on a shoulder tap and a compassion in my heart that the Lord had given me. And she went along with that. It wasn't easy for her. We got there. We met friends. We prospered. We were blessed. I got through school. And it changed her life. And, you know, there is a place for the husband to hear the Lord about these big, big moments in, in, in your life and in your transition. Very, very important thing. So it's based on, let me, let me talk to you about this. Let's, let's think about it as a model here. Uh, if, let's look at it. This is maybe help you understand this a little bit. Uh, Let's put us, we got, I got like a chart of, of a CEO, a, a chief executive officer. Think about the husband as a chief executive officer. Now, the chief executive officer, that responsibility for that chief exec, executive officer is to do this, to prosper the company, for the company to make money, for the company to be healthy, for the company to be in a good spot. That is the job of a chief executive officer, a CEO. And the CEO is responsible to a board of directors. The board of directors holds the CEO responsible that he is making sure he's prospering the family, that he's prospering, not prospering the business, that the, the assets are good, that things are managed well. He is accountable to the board of directors. Now, if you think about the family like that, the family you got the husband, he's the CEO. He's responsible to God to make sure that he's prospering the family, that the family is healthy spiritually, that the family is taken care of financially, that the family is being blessed, and that all of his decisions are being blessed, and he's honoring his family to protect his family. So when you think about submission, the order that God has for, his fam for the family, God has this order in place so that the husband is responsible to the Lord, that the Lord is holding him accountable, that his decisions are based on wisdom, what's good for his wife, what's good for his children, 
and all those decisions he's making is, is protecting and prospering his family, and he's accountable to God for that. So I know one of the pushbacks would be is I'm a woman, and I don't need any man to take care of me. I'm a woman, and I don't need any man to take care of me. And I know that. I understand that, that philosophy. And uh, if I had a daughter, I'd say, honey, get a good education. You know, I don't want you to, I want you to get married, have a good man. But if you marry an idiot, I want to make sure you got a parachute. That doesn't sound very spiritual or very scriptural, but that's kind of, I think that's wisdom. But you know what? God wants to bless ladies. He wants to bless ladies. And ladies have had so many bad experiences with so many men that have abdicated responsibility that obviously they've shifted to a paradigm of protection where they have to protect themselves. And working through that and what that all looks like. But, but you know, God has a wonderful way. There isn't an ideal way. There's an ideal way for, for a godly man to sit across the table and hold his wife's hand and pray for her and for them to talk about decisions and, and then for, give the man permission to hear the Lord. And... I have to tell you that in 45 years, 44 years of marriage, I think it's 44, 44, 45. I shouldn't have said that publicly. I'm in trouble now. I think it's 45. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever made a decision, a major decision in life that we have not corroborated and there was not consensus. But I'll tell you what I have not done. I haven't said whatever you want. I have not abdicated my responsibility. I have not said, well, whatever you want to do. I don't do that in the church as leading our church. When I work over our board of directors, you know, I'm not whatever you want. Man, I'm trying to find, hear the Lord, try to work in consensus. And there is a godly model in Scripture for how family is supposed to look that is so bizarre to our culture that we are more comfortable with Ray Romano. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy. God wants men and women to love Jesus together, to get closer to Jesus, to have a godly family, and, to, and, and for the man to be like Joseph. And he's thinking about what's best for his, his family. He's thinking about how can I protect my family? How can I keep them prosperous? How can I make good decisions? And that's why, see, when you make good decisions as a husband and it prospers, I talked to a young man the other day that's made a lot of money. He's doing really well. He's made a lot of money. And his wife hardly even talks to him about the major decisions anymore. And you know why that is? Because he's made so many good decisions that have benefited the family that he has credibility so that when he makes a decision, he said, it's probably right. But if we make bad decisions, we buy the boat that we really can't afford, and we put our family in jeopardy because we're saying we're in charge. We make those bad decisions, and those bad decisions undermine authority, and authority doesn't work in that kind of context. Authority works in the context where we have a godly man who loves Jesus and is hearing the Lord for his family. And like Joseph... He gets them up. Here's the thing about the story of Joseph. 
He gets Mary up in the middle of the night. He says, we got to go to Egypt. Now, how many guys here, if you woke your wife in the middle of the night and said, we got to go to Florida? <laughs> She'd say, go back to bed, you're crazy. But you know why Mary did it? Because she knew Joseph could hear the Lord because Joseph heard the Lord about her pregnancy. She knew he could hear the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him. And he, got, he said, get up in the middle of the night. They got up in the middle of the night, and they packed their bags at 3 in the morning, and they led Bethlehem because she trusted his authority. Good decisions give you credibility. Bad decisions take away your credibility. That's why I pray, Lord, help me to make good decisions for Karen. Help me to make good decisions if we're working together. Let me make good decisions. If I make bad decisions, boy, it's going to be hard to lead. But Joseph was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided him. When Karen and I went to Florida years ago, we, uh, we, 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 got, we drove down, and the, I had the, the, the Thunderbird, and Karen had the Vega. We drove down to Jacksonville, Florida. We got to Jacksonville. I thought, man, we're, almost, we're in Florida. We're almost there. And then we drove across the Panhandle from Jacksonville to Pensacola, which is it's like forever. And we finally got to Pensacola. We're so excited. We wanted to see the Bible College. We moved 1,200 miles to come to this Bible College. And I pull into this gas station, and, I, and we didn't have GPS. There was no GPS then. There was a, how many remember the paper maps that you had to fold out? That's what we had. We wanted to see the Bible College. It's like 8 o'clock at night. And we had no idea how to find it. So I went over to this guy sitting in a car. And this guy sitting in the car, you know, he rolled down the window. I said, you know where Liberty Bible College is? We, we just got here. We want to see the Liberty Bible College. And you, can you tell us how to get there? He said, I'll take you there. The guy was drunk. He was drunk as he could be. He was stoned out of it. He was, he, you could smell it when he rolled down the window, but knocked me down. I'm inebriated just from the fumes. He said, I'll, I'll lead you there. So Karen and I get in the car. I said, well, good news. We got somebody that's going to take us there. But he's junk, drunk as he can be. I don't know if he'll ever find it. We're following him through this strange city we've never been into. He's weaving through the streets. He's drifting everywhere. We're following a drunk man through Pensacola trying to find the Bible college. <laughs> After about 30 minutes, he rolls down the window and honks and points, and there's the Bible college. <laughs> well, that's not the best way to find it, but we found the Bible college. You know what? Don't be afraid to follow a man that's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We need more men that are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we need more men that think, every decision I make, Lord, I want to make this decision so it prospers my family. That's what submission's about. That's the biblical view. And Peter says in the text, he said, ladies, if you want to win your unsaved husband, 
you know, don't have that liberal, feminist, mean, hate men look on your face. Have a quiet spirit. He calls you the weaker vessel here. It has nothing to do but intellect. Weaker has to do with physical. Generally, men are stronger physically than men, women. Not always, but generally. It has nothing to do with intellect. Super Bowl, was it four or five pilots, women pilots, flew the airplanes over the Super Bowl, you know, thing. That was awesome. Women can do anything. They're smart. They're brilliant. Valedictorian of my high school class, woman. Doesn't mean you're not smart. It just means that there's, God has an order for how he does things. Jesus submitted to his parents, and he's, he made Jupiter. But you show me a, a woman who, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, or Proverbs 31, charm is deceptive, beauty is fading, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fading, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. When I met Karen, when I was uh, 15, 16 years old in the Methodist church, she's so beautiful, so stunning, most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. And after about four years, I, I convinced her to go out with me. And I'd sit in church with her, hold her hands, and I wasn't thinking about Jesus at all. She's so beautiful, and she is beautiful. She continues to be beautiful. Every day, I just see how beautiful she is. But you know what? There's a beauty. I keep her picture on my phone. There's a beauty about Karen that transcends physical beauty. And it's an intangible. It's, it's that beauty that she loves Jesus she wants to do right. She's strong. She's smart. But she's not a angry, going to have my way woman. She's a woman that says, hey, listen, we're in this together. What do you fear the Lord saying to you? Here's what I'm thinking. We got to make a decision. We need more of that and less of everybody loves Raymond. We need more of that. And if you're here today and you're in a marriage, maybe you're in a situation where you're the husband and you're not really walking with Jesus. You're just playing around. You are not following Jesus. You go to, you slip in here every once in a while, but you're not reading the Bible. You're not praying. You are just an empty suit when it comes to spiritual things. You need to really, you need to give your wife somebody to follow. And if you're a, a wife here today and you're just constantly undermining your husband, undermining him, he's trying the best he can. You're always undermining, always undermining. So there's got to be an order. It's the way things are supposed to be done. I want you to lift your hands, first of all. I, want to, I, I haven't done this in years, but I want just the men, just to, men to be open to the Lord right now. Just challenge the men. I know you've got a lot on you. Work hard, and you've got all this stuff happening. But don't abdicate your leadership in the home. Don't abdicate. Don't just hand everything over 
and not lead, not, not be a guide in your family. Your family needs you. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Father God, I pray over these men that are here today. I pray the Spirit of the Lord will speak to them and raise them up and, and give them wisdom and tenderness in their hearts to, to love their wives and let their wives always know that anything they do, they're always thinking about what's, what's going to bless her and what's going to prosper her. Help them, Lord, to, to just take a new role in their marriage. And God, it just uh, we pray that it would be, I know it would be different and awkward at first, but Lord, let there be the Spirit of God to put grace on our family. Let there be new order in our families. Let our children feel safe because mom and dad are under the authority of the Lord and they're living the way God wants them to live. Just pour out your spirit on us, Lord. We need a new generation of families. Families have been blowing apart in our culture. The culture does not have the answer. We need the church to begin to walk in a way that's honorable to you, Lord. And we pray that you'll make... Our church full of beautiful, beautiful women. Doesn't matter how old they are or how wrinkled their face is, they'll have such beauty because of the grace that's in their heart. We commit this to you. And let's just pray this out loud, all of us together, about your family. And I just want I feel led to say if you're a single mom here today, you are the leader of your family. God's given you grace for this. It's not what you chose, but God has given you grace. He hasn't, like, put you in the closet. You are, you are under his grace. Maybe you're a single dad and you don't have a mother figure to help with your children. God's given you grace for this. It's not what you chose, but he's given you grace. Father, right now we pray for the restoration of the family. Just say this with me. Lord Jesus, we invite you into our family to put things in order, not out of meanness, but out of love, compassion, and tenderness. Father, give us the model. Let it be written on our heart, the model that you ordained from the foundation of the world to make families strong and prosperous. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.